Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and the third chapter as we continue our study in that book. I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Start reading in verse 7 and read down through verse 13 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me at the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose hearts over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. The grass withers the flower face, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. This morning, uh, the really focus of the text is not going to be so much the prayer section, which the Apostle Paul stresses that, in whom we have bold access with confidence through our faith in him. So ask you not to lose heart of what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory, but rather verses 7 and 8 primarily. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. I ask you to preach for me as you sit on the proclamation of God's word. And as I proclaim the word of God, please be in prayer for both sides of the pulpit. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace as we acknowledge we are a needy people. Father, I need for your grace and help this morning as I preach. I need for your people, O Lord, to hear and for you, O God, to grant that hearing and to productive um, fruit in their lives. We would pray if anyone's here outside of faith that you would draw them to yourself and bring them relief of lostness. And O God, we pray as well that you, by your grace, would cause sanctification to take place in the lives of your congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may remember that as I began this chapter, chapter 3 of Ephesians, and um, that great book that the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, I said that as you began chapter 3, where Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, uh, there's a break there. There's a parenthetical statement that begins in verse 2 of that chapter and runs down through verse 13 of that chapter as Paul's about to introduce a prayer on behalf of the Ephesians, where in verse 14 he takes up that prayer again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, of whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Well, here in our concern this morning is looking at this work of the Apostle Paul has given to him, whereby he is called to preach the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. 
which we read in the scriptures, and Paul says here, was hidden in ages past. It was not known that the Gentiles at one time would be recipients of the same promises that God gave Abraham, which were primarily focused upon the Jews. But it says in Genesis and the 12th chapter, and you all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And ultimately, that is through your seed, and that is the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is blessed through the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. Which at one time, again, it was considered that it would just be the Jews who were going to be the recipients of those promises. Because Old Testament faith was a Jewish religion. It was primarily something that was connected to the nation of Israel by the promises God made to Abraham, the father of the Jews, as you well know. And it is that as we look at the Old Testament, it was not always exclusively that the Jews were the only recipients of God's grace. We can talk about Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria, the, the sworn Jews' enemies, the sworn enemies of the Jewish people of God. And yet God gave them grace, and many of them came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But who knew? That as God made that promise to Abraham, and as it was spoken through Isaiah, the prophets, and other places in the Old Testament, that people such as we are would be included in that great promise of God to be a God to us and to our children after us. Uh, The Gentiles were included in that. And you talk about the power of God and the grace of God and the desire of God to gather a people to himself from all the nations of the world. What a great powerful uh, expression of God's love and kindness. Uh, was he obligated to save any of us? And the answer to that is no, was no, he was not obligated to save any of us at all. Uh, had justice uh, been served, we could have all, he could have condemned us all to hell. And justice would have been served quite well, and you know that. But in God's grace, there was that purpose of God to include among his people Not simply the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And so this is what Paul talks about, this mystery that was hidden, but has now been made known. He, this great uh, minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, was called particularly to take that responsibility upon himself and to preach to the Gentiles. And so Paul says in verse 6 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Of this gospel that included uh, those who were outside of the covenant, being brought into the covenant, as you know, by it was an engrafting of them into uh, the uh, the body of Christ, if you will. What a remarkable change that has taken place. And then we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, where we know that he was a man who despised uh, the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says here, if you look at verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of the power, though to me I am the least of all the saints. Well, why would the apostle Paul say this about himself? I am the least of all the saints. Was he a slackard? Was he lazy about his ministry? As some men are lazy about their ministries. Well, we know he wasn't a lazy man at all. He wasn't lazy about his responsibilities and calling as an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we have some uh, insight into what was going on in the mind of the Apostle Paul. If you look at 1 Corinthians and the 15th chapter, and all of you are familiar, at least I hope you are by now, at times I've said it, the chapter 15 of the book of Corinthians is the, the chapter that deals with the resurrection of the dead. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you're not that familiar with it, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and I've told you this before, but... If you're like me, you won't remember. Uh, or if you do, you'll like hearing it again for the 15th time. Uh, when I, the first person I ever lost that really was close to me, that I was old enough to really respond with uh, sorrow, was my father's mother, Granny, who lived with us uh, for many, many, many years. And the day that she died, and for some reason in God's providence, I started reading this chapter. wasn't familiar with it really being... The chapter about the resurrection. So I started reading it that day and it just ministered to me so much. Well, in chapter 15, again, the chapter that deals with the resurrection of the dead, Paul says in chapter 15 and verse 9 and 10, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I was, I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So the Apostle Paul was an individual who persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the book of Corinthians, he says, of all the apostles, I'm the least of all of the apostles, because I persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know from church history, as you read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was there standing, approving of the, the uh, murder of Stephen, the first, uh, uh, first um, martyr of the church. And the Apostle Paul was on his way to Damascus to put Christians in prison. And he thought he was doing God a great service by putting these rabble-rousers who followed this heretic Jesus. He was putting them in prison and putting them in chains on the way to prison and putting them to death. That was the Apostle Paul. What a change grace brought into the life of this man. Who went from one to being an antagonist toward the church. Who was willing to see Christians murdered. To one who now gave his life for the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul says, I am the least of all the prophets. But here in Ephesians, notice he says this, I am the least of all the saints. You take all the people of God together, the apostle knew, and all the different churches throughout the world and throughout the land where he traveled so many different places to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, of all of them, I'm the most unfit. I'm the least of all the saints of God because I persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is grieved about this. And we know from Scripture that it is not at all that the apostle Paul was uh, a slacker as far as his work is concerned, because he by no means was. The Apostle Paul gave himself with all energy and all of his ability uh, to work and to labor for the cause of the gospel. He has it listed in the book of Corinth. He spent a night and a day in the sea. He was beaten several times. You remember when uh, he was in Lystra, I think it was, when he was stoned and taken outside of the city, they thought he was, had died. And they left him there. Why? Well, because he was a rude man, and he was doing rude things, and he upset people. 
That's not why. It's because he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And an unconverted heart, listen to this, an unconverted heart hates to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is poison to their souls. It's disgusting to their minds to hear that they are sinful men and sinful women and condemned before the living God apart from grace and the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God's Savior to the world, and who is our Savior if we embrace Him by faith. So here the Apostle Paul was one who was very, very faithful in his ministry. And yet, you can probably all think of something at some time in your life when you said something, or did something, that cut someone. And the weasels ripped my flesh. And that can't be taken away. No matter how desperately you may think, I wish I had never said that. I wish I had never done that. Now, Paul here, and in a situation that we would be in, in something like that as well, we would not be thinking to ourselves, well, there's just no forgiveness for that. That's not the gospel. Listen to this. There is no sin that can be committed that is so heinous that one who is truly coming to faith in Christ and truly repentant, God is not going to say, I'm sorry, but that is simply beyond the bounds of forgiveness. Even those that were crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus prayed for them, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. Forgive them for what they are doing. There's the great kindness of Jesus praying for those who are putting him to death. There is no sin that is so heinous. The one who is truly and sincerely repentant and sorry for it, God is going to say, ah, it just goes beyond the realm of forgiveness. And you can say, well, what about the unforgivable sin? Huh? What about that one? I personally think the unforgivable, unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is basically denying the gospel. I think that's what that is, denying who Jesus is, denying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and hardening your heart. There is no forgiveness for that. Because it's a rejection of the Savior, our great Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is carrying around with him a sense of guilt and shame and sorrow for what he had done to the church. Again, he's not struggling with the fact that he's forgiven. But again, just as in our own lives, we have made sons, done something, said something that was just absolutely horrible. And you can't take it away. And you think about that, and you grieve over that in your life as one, and you think, I wish I had never said that. The Apostle Paul knew the forgiveness of God in Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a blessed verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for the adulterer who is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for the murderer who is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who have hated Christ in the past if they've come to faith in him. No matter what the sin may have been. 
but no matter how heinous it may have been, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who have faith in him. And you can look at the past of some of those who are in Christ today and look at how sordid it was and how horrendous it was and how they lived their life without a twinge of conscience as they continued to live in rebellion against Christ. And yet for those who are in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew that and the Apostle Paul knew that very well in his own life. And again, something that we have done in the past, we cannot ever take it away. But we live in the light of the gospel and God's grace and kindness and forgiveness that he has toward us and the forgiveness that other people would have toward us as well that we pray for in our lives also. So the Apostle Paul had done horrible deeds to the church. And yet, as he looks at his own life, he recognizes that I am most unworthy of all the gifts that God has given to me. I am the least of the apostles. It's not a false modesty here. It's a conviction that the Apostle Paul stood in a position of great blessedness. Let me tell you something. There is no greater blessing to be an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying there? To be called to preach and teach the gospel. There's no greater blessing than that. I don't care what you do for a living. There's no greater blessing than being called as an elder to the church to preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing greater. And nothing that holds a greater responsibility as well and the surety of judgment to come. The man who does not do his job and not do what God calls him to do shall return, shall receive a stricter judgment according to what Scripture teaches. What does James say? Not all should desire to be teachers. Now, if you don't desire to be a teacher, you're not, in, you're not called to be an elder, Period. But Paul says, not, not everyone should desire to be a teacher or should be a teacher because, why? You incur a stricter judgment. And so when Paul went to the Corinthians, he said, I came as one with fear and trembling. You get up in the pulpit, you do so with fear and trembling. What if I say something wrong? What if I misrepresent the gospel somehow and in some way? And I've said things before, and I go back and somebody reminds me that I say that. How could I possibly have said something that wrong when I know better? And yet you say a lot of words when you get up in the pulpit and something sometimes come out improperly. So an elder, a great blessing. And the Apostle Paul recognized that. And the Apostle Paul, again, was very grateful to God for that in his life. And why is it then that this man, Paul, who was a blasphemer, Paul, who was an enemy of the church, why is it that he was called to the ministry? Well, it's not that God saw this man was multi-talented as far as his intellectual capabilities. He understood the Old Testament very well after he was converted. He understood it properly. Uh, he was multilingual. He spoke several different languages, which we learned about it in the book of Acts. Is that the reason God called this man to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is no. 
Paul could get, the Lord could get his work done by using Balaam's donkey to get his word across. He was pleased to use the Apostle Paul. And he blessed the Apostle Paul. So that Paul became a very, very powerful, faithful servant of the Lord as he recognized God's grace in his life. So it pleased the Lord to do so, to bring God, to bring Paul into the fellowship of the church, that he may again be a faithful witness for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, this working in the life of the Apostle Paul, as we read here in the text, was working of his power, the power of God. The same power. You want some coffee? Anybody want some coffee? Like some of you could use a little bit of coffee. Now people looking at me getting angry. If I saw it, looked at him in the face. The Apostle Paul said that it was by the power of God that he was converted. The same power, listen to this. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the power that is used in the life of someone's conversion. We read that in Scripture. What was the power that raised Christ from the dead? It was the power of God. What is the power that brings us to faith? It's the power of God. The source is the same. The operation is different, but the source is the same. And so this great power that came into the life of the Apostle Paul was a power that took him from being one who was hateful who despised the name of Christ to one who is now a servant of the Savior. And Paul knew this was by God's grace. And in John six forty four, Jesus says this, No one can come unto me lest the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come unto me, no matter if they teach Sunday school, no matter if they're a preacher, no matter what the case may happen to be, no one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There is that great doctrine of election. That great grace of God that looks at the mass of pitiful humanity with its ungodly desires and its lack of interest in holy things and brings them into a relationship with himself by his grace. By his kindness, his unmerited favor, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the Apostle Paul knew that very, very well. And you really get a sense in the life of this man, Paul. uh, He was truly and sincerely grateful to God for what he had done in his life. We at times, I think, tend to take it for granted what God has done in our lives by our salvation that we enjoy. But not so the Apostle Paul. Very, very grateful to God for the work that God did in his life. Well, it was, again, by this great power that the Apostle Paul is brought into this relationship. Paul has given this as a gift for him. And his calling is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's his job. That did Paul preach to other people. Yeah, he preached to other people as well. He preached to Jews. But his primary focus, as God called him into the ministry, was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he proved very faithful in doing that. As you know, the missionary journeys were places in Europe, places throughout, outside the kingdom of the Israels, of the Jewish people. 
And he went and faithfully proclaimed the gospel and established many, many churches throughout different parts of the world. You remember even uh, in, in the shipwreck when they're at sea for 14 days and Paul says, we have no idea where we were. Yeah, the cloud covered the skies. The storm made the skies dark. He couldn't see the moon, couldn't see the stars, couldn't see the sun. Had no idea where we were until they found a shipwreck and a shipwreck upon an island called Malta. And you remember there, what did Paul do? He preached the gospel. Again, being faithful to the calling that God had given him to spread the word of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says here in the text. Uh, they were talking about the gift of God's grace, the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of the saints. This grace was given to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you think of Christ and his riches in this fashion? Christ and his gifts in this fashion? Christ and your relationship with him in this fashion? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, this word is used only one of the time in the scriptures. It's in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. I love this portion of scripture. When my father died, I read this text. It spoke to me richly. If it has never spoken to your heart, something's wrong. And it ain't with the scriptures. It's not with the word of God. Something wrong with your heart. Listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. That's just mind-blowing. Same word where it talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who is now in the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that you might repay for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus our Lord. The unsearchable riches that are such that we are able to have a relationship with a God who is altogether holy while we are altogether sinful. The unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has taken us from being one who is an orphan, if you will, spiritually, to one who is an adopted child of the living God. And I call him Father, and he hears me, and he responds to me in like fashion. I am his son. He is my father. Altogether perfect, altogether lovely, altogether good, who makes no mistakes. You can't say that about your earthly father. Because fathers make mistakes. Earthly fathers make mistakes. God does not. The unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that has taken us from a certainty of condemnation and wrath to a home that is certainty, the certainty of heaven itself. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And behind all of that is God's love and mercy and grace. That this same Jesus, who throughout eternity existed within the Godhead, took flesh upon himself, all for the sakes 
of dying for his people on the cross of Calvary. The unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. That went so far as to include a people that were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. That they would now come into the fold of God's children. And be loved. As we read in the scriptures. More that we can possibly think or imagine. The last thing, listen to this very quickly. This section of the book of Ephesians, which begins his prayer, uh, which uh, will be on to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but listen to what the apostle says here. Uh, and this is started in verse 14, the actual prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. And listen to this. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. There surpasses knowledge. There surpasses understanding. As you grasp the reality of the depth of God's love and you grasp the reality of how unworthy you are to be a recipient of this grace and love, you will say this, oh, what it is to know the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What it is to know the reality of God's great love for me expressed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ where he has taken me into his family and assured me a place in glory simply because of his love. You think God doesn't love you? You don't know the gospel. In times in our lives, we may be wondering, what is God doing? Where is his hand of grace and mercy and kindness? I will tell you this. It's there. It's there. You may not see it, but it's there. Listen to this, because God could be nothing other than loving to his children. He doesn't spoil us. He doesn't give us whatever we want. And so many of us in our prayers, like the the lamp of Aladdin, uh, uh, your wish is my command. That's not a God of Scripture. That's not a God at all. That's the fabrication of a make-believe genie who lives in a bottle that would say, whatever you want, I'll be happy to give it to you. A father that would say that to a son is not a good father. A God in heaven who would say that to his children is not a good God either. But he's not like that. He is altogether good and loving and merciful to us. Think of a time when uh, you were a clock watcher. Ever been a clock watcher? The clock's like that on the back, which I'm glad you all can't see it. It has the hands on it, you know, the men in hand. And the other hands that move around the face of the clock, which when I was in school, that's all they had in the classrooms, those kind of clocks like that. They didn't have the digital clocks. And I remember watching that clock at the last period, waiting for that clock to slowly, slowly ever get to 3.15 so I could leave. Class was terrible. It finally made it. And I was so happy when that time arrived where I could leave. I could walk across the street, right across the street from the school. Easy to get home. Or think about perhaps uh, you want to be picked up by someone going on a date or whatever the case may happen to be. You're so excited about it, and you're watching that clock. 
just waiting until the time got there and you're going to be picked up and go out and have a nice evening with somebody that you care about, a clock watcher. Well, are you a clock watcher as far as the working of God in our society? If you are, you're not being patient and living by faith. Perhaps you're like Habakkuk. Why don't you do something about the condition of this country? Why don't you hurry up, get off center, and do something? That's being a clock watcher. We're not to do that. As the Apostle Paul here lived his life for so many years in rebellion against the Lord, now what is he doing? He is simply following God's dictates for him and waiting patiently as God works. What is it that you should be doing in your life day by day? For one thing, don't lose faith in praying for someone's conversion. You don't know what God's going to do. He may see fit not to bring them to faith, but he might see fit to bring them to faith. And so we don't stop praying for someone's conversion. And I could tell you someone, but I'm not going to who they are. I've been praying for years for this fellow. And we pray in confidence because God hears those prayers. And he answers them according to his good pleasure. We don't stop praying. Because we didn't get our way, we continued to pray and go before the Lord, bringing those things before him. And as the Apostle Paul labored faithfully, that's what we are to do as well. What is your calling? Is your calling to come here on Sunday morning, go home, and spend the rest of the time, the rest of the week, doing nothing? As far as ministry is concerned, and the answer to that is no, that's not your calling. Are you a clock watcher here? When will he ever get through so we can go home? Well, there's two problems, two, two possibilities. Either the sermon's terrible, which I've sat through some of those and I apologize. But I don't think that's the case because I'm trying to be faithful to the word of God. Or is it simply a lack of interest really in spiritual things at all? When I was in... Um, Colorado, we went to, I think it was Frisco, I think was the name of the town. I've been, there, I've been there twice to hear this guy preach. We would not like some of the stuff they do in worship. It's different from what we're used to. It's really not following the, um, the text for Scripture as far as worship is concerned, but that guy preaches the gospel. So I can deal with some of the odd things they do that I'm not simply used to to hear the gospel preached. It's refreshing. It's encouraging to hear that. And so I would encourage you uh, as uh, you sit under the proclamation of God's word to pray that God would apply it to your hearts. And pray as well that uh, he may motivate you to be involved in ministry in the church in some fashion or another, which is what God calls you to do, to labor for the cause of Christ and to do so joyfully. Let's pray.